And now, Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. Who doesn't love a yellow school bus, right? Can you raise your hand if you love a yellow school bus, right? Just, there's something about... And, and most of us, many of us, went to school on the yellow school bus, right? And it's part of it's part of our our experience growing up. It's part of a, you know a nostalgia and a memory of of the excitement and joy of going to school to be with your favorite teacher, to be with your best friends, and to learn. The school bus takes us there. This has been Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. Stu does America. All right, election day is right around the corner. BlazeTV.com slash Stu is the place to go to subscribe to Blaze TV. When you do so, you're going to be subscribed just in time to get election night coverage, including myself and all the Blaze TV personalities. You're going to absolutely love it. Use the promo code Stu to check that out. And by the way, We're going up to, I think, midnight Eastern on Blaze TV. We've decided to extend the coverage past that on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash studosamerica. We'll go into the wee hours of the morning to try to follow up those late running races to see if we can figure out anything else that we don't know at midnight. It's going to be a lot of analysis, a lot of fun, uh, and it's going to be a great night. So make sure to check it out. John Gabriel is going to be here with the latest on how elections are shaping up in Arizona. Joe Biden continues to redirect blame for gas prices that are still way, way, way too high. But we start by doing election 2022, the final week. Yes, if you have been here throughout this entire process, you may know we've done this, uh, I don't know, five or six times on the Senate. We're going to probably do the governor uh, governor's races a little bit later on this week as we get into the final week of the election. Uh, but the Senate race has really been where we've been focusing because of all of the importance there. And I'll give you the beginning spiel, sort of the the rules of the uh, of the playing field here, which is basically a start that favors Democrats. Every House election has every single uh, race up uh, every single two years. So everyone starts at zero and tries to build their way up to the majority of 435. Here in the Senate, we got 100 seats, of course, but many of them are locked in already, not up for election uh, because each one is on a six-year term, of course. So we start here with a solid Democrat 36 and a solid Republican. Republican 29. That gives you a, you know, you get a seven seat lead before we even start for the Democrats. This is why this isn't incredibly easy. If it wasn't for this lead that the Democrats take into this particular cycle, this would be cake for Republicans in this sort of climate. But will it be that easy as we go through the process? Well, let's go through it right now and see what we build up to see where uh, we have likely uh, Democrats, leaning Democrats, toss up races, and of course, leaning Republican and likely Republican. We'll start here with some races here that have been in this category basically since we started. I will tell you, as we get started here, uh, going through all of these races, There were six changes, I believe, this week. Six changes, which is maybe the most that we've had the entire time. Let's start out with California. Of course, a likely Democratic seat. We're going through the likely Democrats here. Hawaii is up there. Illinois is still up there. Maryland, likely Democrat. New York with Chuck Schumer, likely Democrat, unfortunately. Oregon, still likely Democrat. And Vermont as well. 
likely Democrat. No huge surprises there. Uh, that's going to give you so far so that's seven seats. However, we do have one moving. This is one of our, our first uh, change for this cycle. We had Connecticut over into the leaning Democrat. As we saw a few polls that popped up that indicated this race maybe was within 10 points. Since then, really, the polling has not uh, proven that to hold out. So we've moved Connecticut back to the likely Democrat here. Our first move of the day moves back to the left, which you may not like uh, that much. But that gives us eight likely uh, Democrats so far. Let's go over to the Republican side where we have a big batch of likely Republicans. And we'll start it off with Alabama. We have Arkansas. We have Idaho. Should all be cake. Uh, Indiana. Kansas. Kentucky. That's uh, Rand Paul. Yeah, remember when he got beat up and everyone, everyone on the left thought it was hilarious? <laughs> that sure evaporated this week, huh? Hmm. Uh, Louisiana is over there. South Carolina. Tim Scott. Going to run. I mean, he's almost running on a post, basically, in this race. Uh, South Dakota as well. Should be nice and easy. North Dakota as well. Uh, Oklahoma. Well, we've got two in Oklahoma. As those are uh, one special seat and one regular election. And Missouri, we moved over here, uh, I think it was last week. That's Eric Schmidt. Uh, was a, initially a, a leaner race for Republicans, but it's now moved over to the likely side. And to kind of give you a sense of what the likely side means, I've been doing this a long time now. Been through a lot of election cycles. Uh, you know, I don't, I've only missed, I think, one major election since we started. And a lot of this had to do with, you know, in places like 2012 and 2020, giving you really news you did not want to hear. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like that's the way I want to hear it. I, I, I don't. I don't like the cheerleading. I frankly don't like the cheerleading. So I'm going to try to give it to you the way that I believe uh, it, these things are going to turn out. You know, I don't hit them all, but most of the time they've been pretty good. But I will tell you the likely categories in the entire time I've been doing this, I've never missed a likely race. So that's how sure we are. Now, again, we will have one more update before the actual election. And that will be the final picks here. But like I've never missed any of these likely races. Maybe this will be the time and you never know. But that's basically the way this goes. But we do have Two more races that have moved into the likely Republican category, both of them from the lean Republican category, and that is Iowa. Now, Iowa had a couple of polls that were relatively uh, close and, in fact, showed Chuck Grassley up only by three points. Uh, there's been some more polling since then. We've looked at other fundamentals. To, I kind of wanted to suss that race out. Is that really real? We talked to Steve Dace, who is, lives in Iowa, really knows that political scene well as well. Did a bunch of research, and I just don't buy it. I think uh, he, uh, Chuck Grassley is going to win that race. Uh, and the polling has supported that since those two close polls. So we've moved that. It was likely initially Republican, went to leaner, and then back to likely. So we're now in likely Republican. And another one in the likely Republican for the very first time is a race that had some really uncomfortably close polling at one point in this race. Uh, but we are now going to move it to the likely Republican category for the first time. That's Marco Rubio in Florida. Now, of course, we know uh, you've got the DeSantis uh, momentum there as well, uh, pulling up uh, Rubio. But there was a time where Rubio and DeSantis were, were showing in polls sometimes six, seven points apart. That's really narrowed. It seems like everybody who's on board for DeSantis seems to be on board for Rubio, maybe with a couple of points of wiggle room. That's not only a huge win for Ron DeSantis, which has really 
presidential level uh, implications, but also it's a huge win for, for Rubio. I mean, remember, these races in places like Florida are usually really close. I remind you that Ron DeSantis won his race by 0.4 points last time. He may win it by double digits this time. So it's a big win, a big lead now for uh, Rubio in Florida, and we have that as a likely category for the first time. Big chunk here, likely Republicans. Uh, total is... 15, now 15 races in the likely Republican category. We go back to the other side, the evil side of the board, the Democrats. Yes, they've got leaners too. And uh, we have a couple of leaners now on uh, the Republican, uh, the Democratic side. It's been interesting watching this happen where the last couple of weeks, we have seen polling and mostly in the likely category hold up for Republicans with the notable exception of some of the gubernatorial races. We're gonna go through that, like for example, New York and Oregon. Races that you would think would be blowouts, but are not at all blowouts at this point. Uh, the Senate has maintained the large leads for a lot of the Democrats in those categories. A couple states now in the leaner category. We start off with Colorado. Colorado is an interesting race. Uh, it's been high single digits most of the time. Uh, O'Day is the Republican there. And it's been interesting to see the, the Trump-related uh, sideshow, I guess, uh, with the media uh, on this particular race. Trump has been super critical of O'Day, who I guess has been somewhat, I, I, O'Day, look, when you say something mildly uh, skeptical about Trump or insulting about Trump or uh, negative about Trump, he gets very upset. I think that's something we all kind of know, love Trump or don't like Trump. He doesn't necessarily react all that well to criticism. And so he's been just absolutely blowing up O'Day uh, on Truth Social and making all sorts of comments about how bad it was that Ron DeSantis endured, uh, endorsed uh, O'Day. What's interesting about that is I'm not sure whether it hurts or helps. I mean, I think you could make the argument, hey, Donald Trump, this is a close election. If you want to be president in 2024 with a majority of Republicans, it would be good to have O'Day, even if you don't think he's perfect, in office. On the other side, Colorado's a purple state, and they're not huge fans of Donald Trump. He just doesn't perform particularly well there. So maybe the criticism from Trump is actually helping O'Day as he comes across the finish line with more moderate voters. We're going to have to see how that plays out. But right now, still Colorado, Bennett leads there by a decent amount. We're also going to put Washington over here on Lean uh, Democrat. Now, we talked to Tiffany Smiley on the radio show. You should go back and listen to that if you wish. She's a good candidate. I really like her. Um, she is a candidate who is running, making this race closer than you would think it is. However, I just I'm not yet a believer that she can pull this one off. That doesn't mean we might see some closing here in the next uh, week or so. We will see. I wouldn't be stunned. I know some of my friends have this in the toss up category. Some have it even leaning Republican. I'm not going to go there yet. I still think that's a leading Democratic race. I'm I mean, I know you might not like all of this, but I'm just going to tell it to you anyway. There you go. Two leaning Democrat on our fancy chalkboard for today. Okay, now let's go over to the leading Republicans. We have a decent amount over here leading Republican, and we'll go through these. Some of these we've explained the nuance of a bunch of times, so I won't go too long into it. Uh, the Alaska race where you have Murkowski. Murkowski, I, I again, I need to see Murkowski lose a race in Alaska before I believe she will lose a race. It will happen precisely at the moment where she she says she's lost. I, I don't I just feel like Murkowski, that name in Alaska seems to carry so much weight for whatever reason. I don't particularly I don't I don't see it, Alaska, but you do you. Um, you know, get, this is, again, a race between two Republicans. You have a Trump endorsed Republican. You have a moderate Republican. Murkowski is the moderate, of course, uh, probably the favorite in this race. But even if she were to lose, you'd still have a Republican and probably a better Republican uh, in this seat in Alaska. That one could be close. Utah. 
still leaning Republican. And I, you know, again, I, I'm tempted to throw it over in the likely sometimes. And then you see a poll that has McMullen, McMuffin, as most people call him, a little closer. I don't think that Mike Lee is going to lose this seat. But it could be closer. It's going to be closer than it should be, certainly, uh, in this race. Uh, Evan McMullen running as an independent, and which kind of makes this weird. There's no Democrat in the race. But it's important to understand that Evan McMullen is just a Democrat at this point. Uh, he went to the Democratic Party. Uh, he begged them not to run anyone. They agreed. Why would they agree? Well, they know he's going to vote with them quite often. Also, uh, he you know, famously voted for Joe Biden in 2020. Uh, this is a guy who obviously does tend to support the Democrats at this point. He's had sort of a political change over the past few years and become much more radical on the left. If you get him, you're going to get Chuck Schumer in Utah. I really do think that's the truth. You're not going to get Mitt Romney. You're not going to get Joe Manchin. You're going to get somebody who owes his entire political life to the Democratic establishment, which has funded him with millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. It's just uh, it's just I, I honestly think it's it's black and white. Uh, Mike Lee is a really good senator. McMullen, you can't trust him, obviously, at this point. Uh, but I still have this. Uh, there's a new poll that came out that had Mike Lee up 11 in that race. There's been a few that have more like mid single digits, but still a favored race for Mike Lee in Utah. Then you have Wisconsin. Ron Johnson uh, has has a lead there. It's not a huge lead. I think it's going to be a relatively close election, but I do think he'll win more comfortably than he did last time. Uh, so Ron Johnson, a leaner. We have Ohio. Ohio was a toss-up at one point in this uh, particular race uh, months ago. Ohio with J.D. Vance. Again, not a massive lead for J.D. Vance in that race. It's still weird for me. We talked about this a couple uh, days ago with this giant split between some of these Republican governors and Republican Senate uh, candidates. I don't know. Really? We had 21 percent of people who were a plus 21 for Mike DeWine in Ohio and only a plus four for J.D. Vance. One of those numbers, I think, is not right. I don't know which one it is. I tend to think it's somewhere in the middle and you'll see Vance win by mid to high single digits. We will see if that holds out. And then North Carolina, Ted Budd has opened up a pretty consistent lead there. Again, not massive. Any of these races are losable, with the exception, of course, of Alaska and the weirdness there. Uh, they also have the ranked choice voting, which kind of complicates that situation. But and these, these races are le- losable uh, for Republicans. But I will say uh, they're all looking pretty good at this point. You can be mildly confident about that these things are going to turn out the right way for conservatives. Now throw in two movers now. Two races have moved. So we've had, we showed you, uh, I think, half of the moving races so far. We're going to give you two more right here. Georgia. We are now going to take Herschel Walker and put him back into the leaning Republican category. I don't know if I ever had him as a leaner. May have just been a toss-up this whole time. Uh, but I do have it now leaning Republican. I think he's weathered the storm of, uh, of these accusations against him. He did very well in the debate. Again, we like Herschel Walker. I like Herschel Walker. He's been on the show a few times. I've liked talking to him. I think he's a pretty genuine uh, guy. He uh, is going up against Raphael Warnock, who is a terrible, terrible senator. And Georgia now, a state that is purple, but does have strength at the top of the ticket. I think that Herschel Walker will win by less than he will underperform Kemp in the race. But it looks like to be right now just enough to squeak over the finish line. The question, of course, 
this will wind up in runoffs potentially. And if that does happen, you're going to have a situation where we're going to throw our hands up and have to wait weeks to figure out who's going to win this race. We will see how important that is. If it's 50-51, you're going to see a lot of money being spent in Georgia to win that race. And then finally, the last one we have moved now from uh, toss-up. It actually started here a few weeks ago. A couple of months ago, it was over here, leaning Democrat. And then we moved it over to toss-up. And now we're going to move it over to lean Republican. That race is Pennsylvania. Yeah, Pennsylvania. The Fetterman debate. Now, a lot of people say to me, hey, you, you know, you, you can't trust these polls. First of all, I always say to you, look, there are many, many opportunities for you to be a multimillionaire if you could outguess the polls. There's tons of ways for you to bet on elections. If you think the polls are wrong, just go be Elon Musk. Okay, you don't have to yell at me about it. Go bet against the polls and you'll win millions of dollars. It's, it's just that simple. But I will say, I think just basing the only thing you look at, if that's the polls, you're not going to do particularly well. That's not how I did it back in 2020 when we got the electoral count exactly right. We did that by using the polls, but also using fundamentals and other things and observations and talking to sources and all the things that you do kind of behind the scenes. Pennsylvania, though, I will tell you, I don't have tons of data to tell you that that is a lean Republican race. There's been a few polls that have come out very recently that have showed a modest lead for Dr. Oz against John Fetterman. But I got to say, I watched this debate. I think anybody who was on the fence had to watch that and say, what is happening? Now, we've seen very limited polling since that debate occurred. I think that's going to be enough to take a very close race and move it into the side of Dr. Oz. We will watch the polling. We'll see what happens. Maybe that will reverse itself. Maybe we'll see a big uh, 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 sort of swelling empathy, uh, sympathy for uh, John Fetterman as we go. I don't know. I can't predict to you exactly what's going to happen here. But my sense is that this race has moved. Uh, We talked to um, uh, Selena Zito, one of the best reporters in Pennsylvania, She's seeing some of this on the ground now. This, I think, changed minds. Debates don't typically do that. I think some people in the middle had their minds changed here. So leaning Republican. We go with seven now in the leaning Republican category. Let's go to the toss-ups. Yes, we've got toss-ups for you. A couple that have been toss-ups for a while. We start with Arizona. Arizona has uh, Blake Masters uh, going up against Mark Kelly. Mark Kelly's been one of the more resilient Democratic incumbents here uh, in a race, you know, in a race where I, I was saying for a while, I got to see one poll to give me one poll that gives John uh, Fetterman uh, shows John Fetterman behind to Dr. Oz. Give me one before I can start believing he's going to win this race. I, you know, and I thought we'd see it eventually. We did finally see it actually before the debate. We saw it. We still haven't seen that with Blake Masters, really. I mean, there really hasn't been any poll. There's a ton of polls that have him down one or two points. This is a pure toss-up in my mind right now. You're in a Republican climate in a slightly red-leaning state with a candidate who's underperformed some of these other races. Masters, I think he's a good candidate, though. Um, One key thing that happened uh, this, uh, I think it was today or yesterday, uh, the Libertarian candidate in the race actually dropped out and then endorsed Blake Masters. Um, and I don't know why Fox News has a picture of Lindsey Graham illustrating that, but uh, there you go. <laughs> He's just like, hey, by the way, I, I, I've been thinking about Arizona, too. I'm Lindsey Graham. Um, so uh, so that is an, an interesting thing, because 
in a race that's that tight. If you're turning 1% of the vote to Blake Masters, that could make a big difference in that race. That just happened. So we're going to go into Arizona with, uh, with John Gabriel in a minute, so I won't talk too long about that one. But that's a very interesting race, basically a t- toss-up. I still think the most pure toss-up of this entire election right now is this one. It's Nevada. And this one's been back and forth. Adam Laxalt has shown a lead by two or three points in some of these polls recently. But as soon as you think, oh, Laxalt's got some momentum, then Cortez Masto is able to pull out a couple of polls, showing her with a slight lead. I think this one's a toss-up. This is a state, uh, the reverse of Arizona. It's basically purple with maybe a slight blue climate behind it. The fundamentals are slightly blue. Will that hold up? Uh, Adam Laxalt's a known commodity in this state. Cortez Masto is not particularly notable. She's kind of a bore, I would say. She hasn't done anything of note since she's been, she had this job. And this is a Republican uh, you know, uh, climate behind all of this. That's a good thing and gives a good chance for Adam Laxall to win there. We have one more that has moved. This one was over from the lean Democrat to toss up. And this one we are moving for the first time, I think, to a toss up race, the New Hampshire race. Yes. Don Bolduck against Maggie Hassan. Maggie Hassan looks desperate, man. I mean, watching her arguments now, she's trying to make this big pitch about how she will disagree with the president. Trust me, I will disagree. I won't be a pushover for the president. Where were you in all these 50-50 votes then? We had a million 50-50 votes. We were always talking about Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin. We never once talked about Maggie Hassan. She basically was a was a, a 100 percent vote with Joe Biden over and over and over and over again. And, and, and any and any of these key issues. So that gives us uh, three toss up races right there. So there you go. Uh, so let's add them all up uh, over here for the uh, Democratic side. We have 36 locked in. We have eight likely Democrats. We have two lean Democrats for a total of you mathematicians out there. Forty six Right now, 46 Democrats. Now over to the Republican side. We have 29 solid Republicans, 15 likely Republicans, seven lean Republicans. That gives us a total of, yes, this is the first time we're doing this, 51. Now you might say, I've seen other people say it's going to be 50, you know, 59 or 60 or 70. Who knows how many Republicans? I'm going to tell you right now, 51 leaning or better is really, really positive because you still have these three right here, toss-ups, so that could get you to 54. Then you got to start picking away at really difficult races to get any higher than that. But 54 is really possible. In a good Republican night, 54 is very possible. So to give you one more review here, you got 29 solid Republicans, 15 likely, seven leaning Republicans, gets you to a total of 51 leaning or better for the Republicans. Three toss-up races. Democrats got 36 solid, eight likely, two lean Democrat, total of 46 uh, going uh, towards the Democratic side, 51-46. Um, you know, it's got three toss-ups. Those three toss-ups are really, really important. But in this scenario, they do not determine who controls the Senate. And the Republican momentum over the past few weeks has put them in a position where they don't have to start knocking off toss-up races. That's incredibly important. We'll see. We've got one week left. One freaking week left. If you want to go out and vote, go out and vote. Kind of important. Get your stuff done. And we will see who controls the Senate in one week.
All right, inflation is a big thing going on in elections. It's got us all thinking about different ways to cut back, whether it's driving less, dining out less, buying less from the grocery store. But there's nothing fun about less. I don't like less. I want more. That's why I started using Upside. Upside is a great app for anyone who buys gas, or groceries, or dines out. It's, that means pretty much everybody. With Upside, I don't have to cut back because I get cash back on every purchase to give you a sense of how well this thing works. Yesterday, I filled up my gas tank using the Upside app, got 35 cents a gallon off. 35 cents a gallon. That's a huge, I mean, that's wiping out months of Biden inflation. If you use my promo code Stu, you'll get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of 10 bucks or more. That is, uh, of course, at the Upside app. Uh, get, just get the app, app get, it's really easy. Basically, you get the app, you go to the business, you just click check in, and then you just buy it within, I think, I don't know, they give you a window of a couple of hours to buy it. It goes right to, you don't have to worry about cards. You don't have to do all sorts of taking pictures of receipts with like some of these other apps. You just put it on the card that you're going to use anyway, and then you get credited back afterward with your cash back. It's really easy to use, and it's really cool. That's why they have a great rating on the App Store, I think 4.8. Download the free Upside app and use the promo code STU. Get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of 10 bucks or more. $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of 10 bucks or more. All you got to do is get the Upside app and use the promo code STU. All right, I'm happy to welcome John Gabriel to the program. He's editor-in-chief for Ricochet and an opinion contributor to the Arizona Republic. He's on Twitter, at XJohn. I guess the big question, John, is will you stay on Twitter now that Elon Musk is terrorizing us all? I think I can stand uh, Elon Musk's iron fist in control. Um, I'm kind of shocked that I haven't been banned yet, but I don't think I'll get banned now. Okay, good. Good to hear. Um, John, you're in Arizona and you've been following these races, which I think are two of the most fascinating races in the country, honestly. Uh, you have uh, the gubernatorial side with Carrie Lake and Katie Hobbs. You have Blake Masters and Mark Kelly on the Senate side. Let's start uh, with Carrie Lake, who... You know, we were told by the national media that she was a crazy person. She had no chance of winning this race because of all of her extreme views. And yet she's performed incredibly well so far. Yeah, she just owns the stage. Uh, she owns the state pretty much now. And her Democratic opponent um, is just horrible. Uh, <laughs> to put it uh, very politely, she's atrocious. And uh, Carrie Lake, she's like a force of nature. She has been uh, campaigning hard for months and months and months. Democrats were promoting her in the primary because, quote unquote, she's the easiest one to beat. Mm -hmm. uh, the same brilliant move Democrats made by uh, helping Trump and assisting Trump whenever they could in 2016. They made that same mistake. And um, it's pretty amazing to see. She has been leading in the polls for several weeks now. It's still close, but as we know, polls tend to trend a little bit to the Dem side. So I think uh, she's looking for a big victory night and hopefully uh, her coattails, her, her petty, petticoat will uh, bring others along with her to victory. Uh, can you give us a sense, John, of who she is in the state? You know, we hear like she's been on, she was on the news for a while and, and there's a lot of people who are on the news. Was she super well known throughout the state? Like what was her profile? Yeah, it was pretty big. Uh, the local Fox affiliate here, she was uh, an anchor for, gosh, over 20 years. Mm. I was trying to figure out how long it had been. I thought it had been even longer. So she's been very prominent face on local news, anchoring the news uh, with her partner there at the local Fox affiliate. And she had never revealed her politics. She never did that. 
Um, a few people locally kind of figured out she was probably a conservative, but she didn't get involved in politics until she had finally had enough and decided, okay, this is my moment. I'm going to do it. And she had a very positive um, view in the public's eye as well. She was just responsible, um, a good journalist, aggressive, um, not a crazy person as uh, the local media decided to recharacterize her as. So it's someone that um, has been in people's living rooms for two decades and they're comfortable with. And I think that's one of the reasons the um, opposition to her hasn't really taken hold because we're like, oh no, that's that nice lady I see at 10 p.m. Hmm. So yeah, it's fascinating to watch because uh, you know you mentioned Katie Hobbs being terrible, which does seem by all accounts to be accurate. Uh, I was fascinated as I was watching the the Fetterman debate, and you know there was not a lot to say positive for John Fetterman in that debate, but at least he did show up. I, I mean, I, I, that's more than you can say for Katie Hobbs. Yeah, it's just political malpractice. Um, she refused to debate in her own primary. Uh, she was facing racial allegations uh, from the far, the furthest left part of the Arizona Democrat Party. Uh, she was running as against a Latino, not a Latin X, but an actual <laughs> Latino. And um, it, it was kind of interesting to see her hem and haw about that. But she was given a pass because she's a Democrat. You can't do that in the general election. You shouldn't do it in a primary either. Your responsibility, you are applying to the voters for a job, and you need to step up and do it. And if you're unable to speak to voters or face your opponent, how on earth can you do a job of governor when you're working the state houses, shaking hands, trying to win people to get your legislation passed? It's part of the job. If you're terrified of talking to anyone who disagrees with you or to the general public, maybe politics isn't the best fit for you. Mm, yeah, it does seem like one of the main qualifications there, just just a little bit. Uh, it's interesting to watch Carrie Lake because I think every time there's a candidate who says something that the media doesn't like, right, something that's uh, over the line, as they would say, there's this, this uh, there's conversation that always comes up about candidate quality, where like, well, the Republicans are throwing away this seat because they've elected someone who's, or they've, uh, you know, in the primary elected someone who's too extreme, and now they're gonna get, you know, rolled over in the general election. We know the Democrats believe this with Kerry Lake, but candidate quality has is more to it than just your political positions or things you've said. I mean, Kerry Lake just seems to be so ridiculously good at pushing back against the media and these narratives that they've tried to create on her. She's a, a one-person wrecking machine. I recently rewatched the classic movie Patton, a very good conservative movie, by the way. Mm. But um, when he defeats General Rommel in Africa, he says, I read your book. And Carrie Lake has read their book. Every kind of media attack on her, she's like, I've, I'm a pro. I've been doing this longer than any of you. I know exactly how this works. And so it's very. she can very quickly flip questions back around on the press. And they end up not using the footage because she makes them look so idiotic. And how they keep trying to, uh, they keep thinking they're smarter than her. No, she knows journalism better than you do. And that's why she can push back. She is a very good spokesperson. And to her great credit, I thought in the primaries, it's like, okay, we're talking a little too much about the past, 2020 and so forth. Boy, the second she won the primary, it has been inflation, border, crime, mm. the economy, all the top issues that voters across the country care about. Meanwhile, the state Democrats are, I think their top three issues are abortion, abortion, and abortion. Oh, and January 6th. Yeah. The voters don't care about those. We care about our grocery bills, as I do, our gas bills. That's what we care about right now. And Carrie Lake's 
actually talking about what the voters want to hear about. Yeah, you can't spin yourself out of inflation. You, there's, right. there's just no way to do it. Um, let's go over to the Senate race. This race has been, I mean, somewhat perplexing to me in that, like, I, 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 to me, Mark Kelly seems like a, a sort of replacement level Democrat. He doesn't seem to be particularly notable. He votes, you know, you know, 95 plus percent of the time with the with the you know with the Joe Biden, and as you'd expect him to do, I guess. He's not Kirsten Cinema, who was the person who we we saw push back occasionally against things. Uh, in Arizona, he's portraying himself, though, as he as if he is Kirsten Cinema, and trying to come off as this maverick sort of guy who's pushing back against the establishment. Is there any evidence of this? No evidence. He is an anti-maverick. He is a by-the-book Biden guy. He always has been since he was first elected. And it's kind of funny because, like the rest of the Democratic Party here locally, all he seemed to care about was abortion and mentioning that he's an astronaut in every single ad. <laughs> now, in the past couple of weeks, he's, I'm a rugged, rugged, tough guy. I can't stand this Joe Biden boy. I hate them Democrats. I'm like, where where has this guy been for two years? I might vote to reelect you if you had actually behaved that way. But he always votes with the party. He's just a go-along-to-get-along guy. And it's pretty amusing to see him act like this blue-collar, you know, hard-scrabble, tough you know, up from poverty, tough guy who's sticking it to Washington when all he does is play the role that he was hired to do, which is a rubber stamp for Joe Biden. Uh, Blake Masters was kind of undefined at the beginning. The amount of negative ads at him have been insane. And he's still, at least within the margin of error, a couple polls have him tied, a couple have him leading. So I think he is really good also on the stump. He hasn't got as much attention as Kerry Lake. But he has been out there day in, day out. I got the chance to saw, see him live about a week ago and uh, really connected with the crowd, did a great job. And I think he's the only one, once again, talking about issues voters care about. With Lake coming in big, um, I think that he's going to eke over the finish line and win. Um, Mark Kelly is just wrong for the state and wrong for the country. Yeah, I mean, I'm... I'm I'm optimistic on Masters. I mean, we, we've had him in studio a couple times. He, he's, I think, a really smart guy. He's a, he's a good speaker. He's got a good-looking family. He's sort of, sort of the, the whole package when it comes to what you'd want out of a candidate. And it did seem that he was defined as sort of a weirdo early on. Like, it seemed like the, the national pitch on him was that he's, just this, he's kind of this weird hermit guy, and you're not going to understand. He's not right for Arizona. And then I think he got a chance to be out in front of the public, uh, with the debates, and people kind of got to see him for the first time. The race has seemed to tighten, and now we see the Libertarian candidate uh, backing out of the race and endorsing Blake Masters. Is that going to make a difference? I think it will, because uh, Arizona, like uh, Texas, other Mountain West states as well, you just have a Libertarian element. Even if people vote for the GOP or the Dems, you have this leave-us-the-heck-alone mentality that most voters share across parties. And so we will always have the Libertarian getting 2 to 5% of the vote, which isn't huge, but in this race, it would be enough to throw the election to the Democrats. So good for him that he actually stepped down instead of running a kamikaze mission to reelect um, Mark Kelly. I think it's a very good thing um, that someone who's independent is endorsing Blake Masters. He doesn't think he's kind of off, out of bounds or the wrong candidate for the party or weird. And yes, that's how the Democrats have attacked him. And they, uh, the Kelly campaign has outspent Blake Masters, if memory serves, by four to one. So mm -hmm. they have been blasting him nonstop. But 
people got back from their vacations, their kids started school again, and then they started paying attention to the election and say, well, I'm not seeing this crazy weirdo you guys keep telling me about. He actually is talking about the issues we care about. You know, uh, how important is it on the money side? I think this is a fascinating part of this, because when Masters won the primary, you know, the polling was coming out. It was it was Kelly plus 11, Kelly plus 10. And Mitch McConnell reportedly pulled the money out of the state. Was that really important? We know that Peter Thiel has been a big supporter of, of Masters. How important is this? And, and has the McConnell money come back in now that it's tightened up so much? Yeah, um, I've heard mixed reports about McConnell money, but you do have a lot of people. Heritage Action has jumped in as well and other think tanks, other uh other nonprofit organizations, political PACs and the like have jumped in. I think that money is less and less important these days because there's so many ways that, you know, people here watch the blaze. They are watching other networks. They're watching YouTube. They're not sitting there in front of the TV getting their uh, news after, you know, between Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune. That isn't happening at least as much now. Mm. And the Democratic campaigns, they've spent a lot of money. And there's a whole bunch of ads here, negative for Lake and Blake. But um, one thing you see is they're just talking about foolish issues. They're talking about, again, January 6th and abortion is all they seem to care about. And the voters aren't interested in that right now. We have some really tough issues going on right now, and they don't really want to relitigate 2020. And abortion isn't an issue that affects the vast majority of voters. They care about how much milk costs. Hmm. Uh, John, we have about 30 seconds left. Can you give me your what's your big picture view of the Senate right now? Where do you think it stands? I would say, and I think I'm low now, um, I think 53 GOP. I'm getting more and more bullish. If you look at the issues that the American people are interested in and what the Republicans are talking about, I think everything is coming up red. What the GOP will do with that, I'm not so sure about. We got to hold their feet to the fire. But I think there's only one party talking about the big issues today, and that is the GOP. Yeah, and you start getting 54, 55 seats. You start talking about a potential filibuster-proof majority with a Republican president in 2024, and things get really crazy. Uh, there's oh. going to be all sorts of stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, let's go to uh, let's uh, let me let me let you go here because we got to go to break. Uh, John Gabriel, editor in chief of Ricochet and editor, uh, opinion editor uh, contributor for the uh, Arizona Republic. John, it's so great to talk to you, uh, and I really appreciate you coming on. Great to be on. Thanks for having me. Let me tell you about Grip6 and their customizable, fashionable belts uh, and wallets and let's see socks. They got great stuff. This is a great company, it's a small company in Utah. They sell throughout the United States and all over the world, but they source almost everything they make right here in America. And that is something that's really important to them. Uh, it's important to, to me as well, and I, I bet it's important to you. We're talking about people who care about this country, who actually like the country. I mean, do you, honestly, at this point, you don't even have to like it. Just don't hate it. Don't despise everyone you're selling to. That would be a nice change. Grip6 uh, easily clears that bar. Grip6.com slash stew is the place to go to get your stuff from Grip6. They got great stuff. The wallets are awesome. If you've always had sort of a traditional George Costanza wallet, you got to check out the Grip6 stuff. They're really, really cool. If you use the code stew, you'll save 15%. Uh, check it out now. Grip6.com slash stew. Get 15% off today. If you use the code stew at Grip6.com slash stew. So Elon Musk is busy taking a hacksaw to Twitter as we speak. He's looking to maybe lay off as much as 25% of the workforce in the first round of cuts. 
We don't know how many uh, rounds there will be. Uh, they have over 7,000 employees, and they're talking about uh, getting rid of about 2,000 of them right off the bat. And I think that's, look, a lot's been made about the Elon Musk uh, situation when it comes to free speech and how that's going to affect uh, the platform. And it is an important platform, even though I can't stand it most of the time. It does help lead the conversation. That being said, I think the differences that Elon Musk is going to bring to the table is business competence. You know, he really is a guy who's been able to remake companies. He's been a guy who is obviously you know, one of the richest men in the world. And he's able to look at these things and say, well, that's dumb and that's dumb and stop doing that. He's one of those type of guys. And we'll see if this pays off. He may bet the wrong way here. But my guess is this is a very bloated organization and there's absolutely no excuse this is the company that has received more free advertising than any company in the history of the universe. Every news story ends with, I'm Bill tweeted and Bob tweeted and then Bill responded all over and over and over again. We see the stupid bird on every news broadcast all the time. Everyone's talking about Twitter all the time and yet they can't make a profit. Like, how is that possible? Uh, so he's going, he's look, also looking at a couple different things. They owned Vine. Vine was sort of a precursor to TikTok, and they just inexplicably just shut it down for no reason. They bought it and then shut it down. Talking about maybe bringing that back. Why wouldn't you when you have TikTok kind of owning that world? Lots of people have a great sort of uh, old-timey feeling for Vine. They want it back, and so he may bring that back. Also, he's talking about maybe you're going to get paid. You're going to pay to get verified instead of having just like celebrities and news personalities getting verified. Instead, anyone can get verified for eight bucks a month. Now, I don't know. Would you do that for eight bucks a month? I don't know that I would other than the fact that, you know, it may have make business sense for the show so that people can see the content. So maybe it makes sense for if you have a large following. If you have a smaller following, it might not make sense. But it's, they're talking about the $8 a month fee giving you a priority comment status and all these things. Look, he's basically really focused on getting rid of the bots and the nonsense on Twitter. I don't know if he's going to be able to do it, but I think if anyone can do it, it's probably going to be him because he just doesn't care about the traditions and the things that people will say and complain about him. He's just going to do the stuff that he thinks is right, which is usually a good way of running a business. Um, so we'll come back here in just a second uh, and we'll give you a final update here on the program. Uh, and this one is fascinating because it has to do with whether I have a job or not. Election night is right around the corner and the stakes have never been higher for the midterms. Several races across the country have already gotten very interesting in the past couple of weeks. Will Republicans be able to win a Senate seat in Washington state? Is Kathy Hochul really in trouble in New York? Will voters go after Gretchen Whitmer? Not not in the way that they told you where they're trying to kidnap her, but winning an election. Will that happen? Well, there's a lot to cover this election cycle. We've got you covered. And the best way to get all the information you need is to go to theblaze.com slash election guide. You'll receive Blaze Media's ultimate guide to the midterms put together by me. Yeah. I mean, you watch the show today. We talk about these elections all the time. Well, now we've got the blaze.com slash election guide to give everybody the information they need. If you know someone who wants to be up to date, make sure to share it with them. Get on the list. You get a free copy of the ultimate election guide delivered straight to your inbox. It's the blaze.com slash election guide, the blaze.com slash election guide. Go there now. Check it out. It's the blaze.com slash election guide. Will I have a job next year? 
No idea. And we'll see. Why? Because, well, there's an extremely rare first edition U.S. Constitution on sale, and it could fetch $30 million. And if you know that I work with Glenn Beck every day, you know that there's a good chance he fires everybody who works for him at Mercury Radio Arts and buys the thing. So I'm pretty much expecting to not have a gig coming up in a couple of months if he buys this thing. It is actually out there. There's only 13 of these uh, produced ahead of the Constitutional Convention of 1787. 13 of them exist, and this only two of them are in private hands. One of them is going to be come on sale. So it's yours if you can outbid Glenn at around $30 million. One week till election night. BlazeTV.com slash Stu. Don't miss it. It's from 8 to midnight Eastern. You get the promo code Stu. will save you 10 bucks. You get all the great coverage that we're going to have. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then after midnight, we're going to go to the YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash Stu Does America. Subscribe there as well. Coverage into the wee hours of the morning. We'll see you tomorrow.